Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. It's the Friday edition of Scoops with Danny Mack and really just a continuation of the morning show. As we broke the news yesterday, Alexander Steen officially retired from the NHL. We'll get into that. We'll also get into the news of the NHL. Can they get the season going by January 13th? A lot of talk that NHL teams in Canada may not be able to play in their Canadian cities. So would they do hub cities in the United States? We'll talk to Alex Ferrario about that. He had this week in hockey. He's got different things going on this weekend and a lot of news concerning that. So we'll have Alex in studio. The text line uh, 618 says, make your own cookies, you mooch. Thank you very much. Uh, it also says 573, you need to have Big Walt on the radio more often. He is instant offense. I love Walt, loved him when he played. So happy and thrilled that he decided to stay in St. Louis and make this his home. Tanner, the text line can be tough, man. Tough. Oh, yes, it can't. But hey, anybody would take free cookies. Come on. Of course they would. It's the holiday season, you know, the season right. of giving. You don't take free cookies, you're crazy. And receiving. Right. True. Thank you. Six, five, seven, eight, zero. If you want to jump in six, five, seven, eight, zero. That is the air comfort service uh, text line. Uh, so those are some of the subjects that we'll get into. Also, if you want to talk a little baseball, we can do that as well. We had Joey Vitale on this morning. I've been filling in for Michelle with Randy. And I asked Joey about, OK, now that you have Bo Meester gone, you got Pedro gone, you got Steen gone leadership in uh, the dressing room, on the ice, the minutes, the, what happens with the lineup, those kind of things. And Joey, it's a fairly long answer here, but really in-depth of what he talked about what the Blues may do. You know, it's, it's very hard to find one person, Randy, to do all those things because what Alexander Steen did was basically the job of three or four men. But I will tell you, they have Blues players in that room right now that could fill the shoes. It may not be one guy, but it could be a few. I'm just going to give you two guys, for example. From the community standpoint, from the leadership standpoint, from the presence standpoint, from a guy coming up, the who do I look to for help standpoint, that to me will be Ryan O'Reilly. That's the guy that just stands out as the guy for that. Now he's got helpers. He's got the Braden Shannon. He's got the Jaden Schwartz, right? you got all those assist men. But from a character standpoint, from what I've observed, Ryan O'Reilly is as close to Alexander Steen, uh, I, I believe, than, than any player in, in the entire National Hockey League, for that matter. And that's that's saying a lot, because there's not a lot of guys up to that caliber. You know, how do you replace what Steen did on the ice? I'm going to give you a player I talked to Craig Ruby about two days ago that was a huge, kind of not shock to me, but uh, pleasantly surprised. He said, you know, for in Steiner's shoes, a player that he is going to look too heavily this year to run this ship. And he called this player, quote unquote, the engine that runs our team. The engine that runs our team. Pretty remarkable quote. And that player is Oscar Sundquist. Oscar Sundquist can be what Alexander Steen was, and he could do it at a whole nother level because he's got about 10 years on him. Uh, Oscar Sundquist, first of all, came over in a great trade from Doug Armstrong. One of the one of the undercover trades of Doug Armstrong, because you always hear about the Rhino Rise and the Braden Shens, the blockbusters that just blew it out of the park, right, that made him GM of the year or close to it. But don't forget about Oscar Sundquist. He comes here from Pittsburgh for Ryan Reeves, and they got a first-rounder as well, right? So it was a big, big acquisition. 
Not a lot was said. I had a conversation with Sidney Crosby about Oscar Sundquist, my first year on the job. We just got Oscar. I'm, I'm, I'm observing camp. I'm, my pencil's shaking. I don't know how to do this damn broadcasting thing. Uh, I'm not, we'll never be nearly as good as Dan McLaughlin, but one day here I am thinking I'm going to be the next Dan McLaughlin. Here I am taking all my notes down. I look like, you know, Mr. Reporter. And, and I run, run into Sid up in Toronto, and we're talking about Oscar because he just came from Pittsburgh. And he goes, how's Oscar doing? I go, who's Oscar? He goes, Oscar Sundquist. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, he's kind of the newer guy. And I think he's doing okay. He's kind of the guy on the outside looking in. I think we're kind of got him penciled in as a fifth liner. And he's like, Joe, this guy's not a fifth liner. This guy is good. I go, really? He goes, listen, we should have never gotten rid of him. I'll never forget him telling me that at the Toronto Marlies practice facility in Toronto a month into when I got the job back in 2018. It was an incredible comment. And I didn't believe him then. But I should have, because here he is, one of the best players in the world, and he saw something in him. But wow, what have we seen out of Oscar Sundquist? Nothing but growth, nothing but professionalism. Craig Bruby raves about his forechecking. That's what the engine is. The engine of this team is the ability to dump pucks in and forecheck and punish. And like they did in that San Jose series a couple years ago, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill every defenseman out there, and they sure as hell did, because they had Oscar Sundquist, right? He was running that ship, and he was that forechecker, and he was that engine. So from an on-ice perspective, Randy, to answer your question, I'm looking at number 70. I think he's got the tools. He's got the mind. And now he's going to have definitely have the ability with, with all this playing time open up. He's going to have the opportunity to go out there and prove himself to do it. Interesting. Hadn't thought about that. You always think about Schwartz, O'Reilly, Shin, Pareko, even Tory Krug as a possibility as a wave of maybe new leadership comes through for the St. Louis Blues. Had not thought about that. It is an interesting point that he makes, and it does fill that role for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Steen retires due to a back injury. We found out yesterday that he was having issues even just bending over, tying his shoes, getting out of the car. Made his debut back in 2005 with the Leafs. Acquired in 08 with Carlo Koliakovo in exchange for Lee Stepniak. And Steen was one of the longest tenured Blues. Played over 11 seasons with St. Louis. The station, I thought, did a fantastic job covering his retirement. One of their guests yesterday was Barrett Jackman, and he talked about not only on the ice, but leadership in the room. You know, those guys that you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, O'Reilly, Bozak, uh, you know, it, it gives an opportunity for Pareko to step up and, and be a presence not only on the ice, but uh, away. And he's a he's got a great personality. He's a fun guy to be around. And Robert Bortuzzo, he's a guy that has that leadership ability. And, you know, he shows it. He, he maybe doesn't get recognized uh, for it because he's not in the lineup every night. But he's definitely a guy that, uh, you know, could step up and, and take, take on a, a lot of that, uh, that boy that Senior uh, and Petro are missing. He's a guy that, you know, keeps everybody together and keeps uh, things light, but also comes with that uh, business-like mentality when, uh, when needed. Some other names to consider. Steen played in over 1,000 games, had over 600 points in his career. He told the Blues website, quote, this has been an emotional process, but as I look back at my years in hockey, I would like to thank our organization, our city, our fans, and my teammates, as I am so proud of all the teams I was a part of. General Manager. Well, he, he carried a big stick, obviously, in, in our organization. He'd been here a number of years. Uh, when, when he, quite honestly, when he got here, we were just, uh, it was my first year, we were just coming out of the, the, the really darkest days of, of picking first and fourth overall, and uh, he came to an organization was trying to get better, and his leadership on and off the ice uh, allowed us to be a strong team for the last decade, and uh, Riz, as you know, what uh, 
you're only on the ice only comes if you're good off the ice and, and he was someone that uh, could carry the, the banner for us off the ice and making sure our franchise was one that uh, we could be proud of and, and he, he wore his heart on his sleeve and his work ethic was second to none and I think that's what allowed him to, to play over a thousand plus games. Yeah and somebody that knows him quite well was on the ice with him knows him well behind the bench and that is Steve Ott. And it adds into the part of uh, being on the other side of things and coaching Alex and when, when I say coaching him, his, his mind for the game is very detail-based. And the details that he's kind of presented to other guys to kind of help their game, you can, you've seen it throughout our Stanley Cup win when he was basically on the fourth line and doing all the, the role, type of, role type of player in the, in the sense of the end of his portion of his career there how much leadership has came from that exact moment, you know, stepping down the line of accepting his role, pushing the details on other players and passing that torch. And to be honest with you, that's the on ice stuff, the off ice stuff. It's obviously going to still be a big part of these guys, friendships and, and help, you know, mentor the next core group of leadership that that's gone. And it, you know, he's a phone call away, obviously, or, you know, hopefully he comes around the rink lot and can be, be there to help these guys because he is a tremendous leader and, the, the big thing is, is you know, you learn leadership through examples, and Sheener left the uh, left everything there to have these guys grasp that next leadership. So yes, it's it's big shoes to fill in the sense of leadership when you're losing great leaders like we have in the in the last little bit. But lucky enough, he's been uh, one of the big reasons to breed the next and upcoming uh, leaders that are just going to follow on right in his footsteps. All right, quite a player, great blue, Alexander Steen. Best of luck. Talked to his dad this morning. He was on the show and uh, talked about how proud he was of his son. So we turn the page now, and we wonder about when and if we will have hockey. All signs point to January 13th. Financially, that seems to be set. Logistically, though, it's getting tougher. Canadian teams in their Canadian cities not being allowed to play. Word came out late last night about that. How would the NHL deal with that? Back to Joey Vitale. This is what's going to happen, guys. I'm telling you right now, uh, from the, from what I've gathered from some players, what I'm hearing from around the league, I believe it's going to go a little something like this. They're going to start in January. They need to start in January. They're going to try to get 56 games. If, if they start in their own building, that thing is going to get pushed back to February based off of this virus, based off of having going to Canada, and the league just does not want to wait till February. They want to get going in January. Okay, so how do we do that? They're going to have to do a temporary hub. They're going to be doing temporary bubbles. Uh, they're going to be spread out all over this country, I believe. I think because of the government officials in Canada, they're not going to be allowing them to play, which is really going to piss off our neighbors from up north. So all the Canadians are going to be coming down to the States, I believe. I have heard rumors that Vegas may be a good location for St. Louis in the Pacific Division. So imagine they're going to get all these Pacific teams. They're going to put them in Vegas. Let's call it as an example. They're going to put them in Vegas. Yes, bring your family, bring your kids. There's no way these players are going to go anywhere without their families and kids. They're going to allow their families, their kids, their wives, their grandparents, whoever they want to come. It's going to be called a temporary bubble so we don't absolutely have these players come unglued because the idea of a permanent bubble again is it's just not going to happen the players will not go for it but it's going to be a temporary hub temporary setup where players and families can go to play let's call it four to five weeks of hockey let's reevaluate let's see where this world is what this country looks like what this virus looks like mid-february and then hopefully by then everyone can get back to their cities and we can kind of doing this thing and jive jive through it in our own buildings the way i think the players were hoping to start in January. It's just going to get delayed because of everything going on. Boy, on paper, it sounds great. I just wonder if they can do it. You just don't know where we're going to be in a month. And then a month after that, 
can you logistically pull that off? And we've already heard the players are saying, if you mention Hub, we're not interested. It's going to be tough. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. ESPN 101 insider Alex Ferrario on the hockey side is with us and he'll be with Chris Kerber coming up uh, from 11 till 2 and they'll take you to the fast lane on this Friday. BK has the day off and this is not the crossover, but I, you know, when there's NHL news, I love having you on. Alex, you're, you're tied into a lot of things happening with the Blues and the NHL and talking with Joey Vitale on uh, this week in hockey. I, I just... Man, I, I got the news last night and, and read about it, and we talked a lot about it with Randy this morning about the NHL, and they're they're in the Canadian cities, and so you, you've got a bunch of them, a mm-hmm. bunch of teams up there saying, hey, you're not going to be allowed to play. It's going to be government rules. How do they make this thing happen then in a short amount of time to try to get the season going by January 13th if you can't play up in Canada? I think this is the next major uh, roadblock that the NHL is running into because, look, January 13th is going to be here before we know it, and they still have to get the Board of Governors approval. And Pierre Lebrun reported earlier today that, from his knowledge, they have not set up the Board of Governors meeting because of all of this kind of Canadian situation. I don't know if it's going to to halt the NHL from coming back this season. I don't know if it's going to really stunt them that many games because at least from what I was reading and listening to last night, Frank Saravelli of TSN was reporting it. They can transition it to the U S and play all seven Canadian teams in the U S now the ripple all effect. Ca- you mean all the Canadian teams in the U S all the Canadian teams of the U S yes, hub though. Well, that's the thing. You're going to do the hub. Well, not technically, because you could use teams in other stadiums and shift them around if they're doing that. But look, if they're going to be bringing Canadian teams from Canada into the U.S., you're going to have to do a bubble because they that's a lot of teams that you're going to be throwing in there in divisions. That's that's the other ripple effect, Dan, because right now you have four divisions. you got the Pacific, the Midwest, the East, and then the Canadian division. You can't create another division with the Canadian teams because where are you going to put them? You're going to be moving them around. Do you have three big divisions? Do you go to just conferences? Like, that's the bigger question. So at least from what Joey and I talked last night, Joey seems to think that the bubble is an option and it's a legit option if it's temporary. That is the it biggest key. It has to be temporary because yes. the players will not do it, correct? Yes. And Joey said it perfectly with me last night. The only way this happens is if the players get it in permanent marker, in etched stone, whatever you can do to make sure that you can come back to it that says this is not for the time being. It's for a month. It's for four weeks. And then we'll be back to it. I think the players would be on board with that. Joey seems to think the players would be on board with that, but only if they know where the end date is. But the other caveat with this one, Dan, is if you bring these Canadian teams outside of Canada, they can't go home. Right. Like you're in basically the U.S. until Canada releases the border. So that was what I was saying. I don't know if you heard me with Randy yeah. this morning. I said, now, wait a minute. We're just thinking outside the box. So could you add teams to divisions or do you just bring down, as you said, you bring down the Canadian division and they hub in a create a U.S. division. Right. Um you could do that, but let's just say the idea would be, to your point, it's etched in stone. After four weeks, five weeks, we're going to disperse. We're going to go into our home cities, yeah. and you say, okay, to those Canadian teams, and I guess it's all dictated by the virus at that point, and if there's a 
uh, loosening of restrictions to get mm-hmm. through the border, but you got to quarantine depending right. on where you're going for 14 days. And that's that the could other be thing. eight games. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, and then you're 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 stunting the opportunity, Dan, of getting finished by the end date of what you want before the Olympics can start, and that's going to be the struggles for those for the NHL. If they bring the Canadian teams in, but then they decide, okay, well, you can go back to your stadiums, but up, you got to wait 14 days before you can actually go. Well, you've just taken two weeks off of a schedule, which is going to make it very difficult to play 56 games. So that this is why I think Frank Saravelli, Darren Dreger, Pierre Lebrun, the insiders right now in Canada are reporting this is a major development because this will, if it continues to be a roadblock for the NHL, push the start date back. I don't think we're at any point where we sit here and say, oh, well, this is the reason why the NHL won't come back. It's coming back. But you really wonder if it's going to be 56 games or if it turns to 48 games if you have to wait this long. What's the fewest amount of games you think because of the finances or for a legitimate season that they'd be willing to play? And I guess in a lockout, it was 48. That yeah. was the fewest. But what do you think it would be? <laughs> well, if you ask some owners now, Dan, I'd say 82 because yeah. they don't even want the season. But honestly, 48, I would I would imagine, and, and nobody's reported this, and I haven't heard anybody say this, but it's a lockout basically season you would do the 48 game schedule and you'd be able to get as uh, as many in as you can before the playoffs would start. And then, of course, wrapping those playoffs up before the Stanley Cup uh, would be awarded and the Olympics start. Um, but look, if the NHL is going with this baseball series idea where you play a team four times and then you move to another stadium and play them four times. I think you could do more games, right, because you're not you're not needing to spread them out as much. But this is what Jamie Rivers and I had talked about a couple of times you can't do that to hockey players. Like it would be the same as saying to football players, Hey, we need you to play three games in a week. It's not going to happen, you know? So that's going to be the physical toll on this one, which is going to be intriguing with what they do in the depth system or the satellite camps that they've talked about with this AHL team. So uh, again, right now, it seemed like things were moving in the direction of voting on the board of governors by today. But with this Canadian government situation and kind of stunting this, I would imagine you're probably not going to see a vote on the board of governors until late next week. For fans that don't know, then what's going on with the AHL? What are, what are they doing? So I read an article last night about this and basically the, 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 uh, the commissioner, so to speak for the AHL spoke about how really that's up in the air right now. I think they're shooting for their start date to be around the beginning to middle of February, somewhere between February 5th, and 13th would be a month after basically the NHL starts. They've talked about uh, shortening the amount of schedules to, I believe the article was like somewhere between 36 and 38 games because that's a gate revenue league. You can't play 56 games like the NHL and expect to make money. You're losing money playing a season no matter what, but you got to get these players in because otherwise how is the development going to work? So they're going to have a season, at least from what they're saying with the AHL. Um, you got the Canadian situation too, though, with that, Dan, because there's four teams in the wow. AHL that play up there that will have to come basically in and play uh, in the U.S. So they've talked about much like the NHL creating the divisions and playing in the U.S., playing the shortened schedule. Um, but that also comes to what training camp sizes are going to look like because when the NHL opens up, are they going to allow 75 that the Toronto Maple Leafs had last year? Or are they only going to say, hey, guess what? There's 35 guys and only 30 are going to make the NHL squad. And so there's no chance then 
to get creative with the TV deal with the Olympics and say, hey, we could put this on this channel. We could do this. I mean, it's got to be on NBC and their sister stations, and there's no other way to do it, right? At, at least from what I understand with that, because it's the final deal of that contract. And, mm-hmm. of course, there's there's stipulations you have to meet. And, and if I'm not mistaken, 55 games was the minimum that they had to play on the NBC Sports TV contract this season. So I don't think you can shift that around or say, you know, hey, we'll get this amount of games in, but when the Olympics start, if we push the season back and moves over here, I don't think one NBC would be on board with that. And you don't know what the negotiations are, are like with the NHL side in the offseason if they're wanting to go back with NBC. So that's the other money loser situation, right? Like if you don't meet the demands of the contract, then you're going to be losing money on that angle as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many spider webs with this one. But, you know, credit to the NHL, Dan because they're not putting their dirty laundry out in front. Like we had it for a little bit with this negotiation, but it, for the it, most part, it's been quiet. It all kind of settled down really quick when they realized like, Hey, we need, just need to get back to hockey, but everything else has been pretty, uh, pretty calm when it comes to the, 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 the tsunami that's going on behind the scenes. It seems like the, the financial part, the money part that's figured out. Like they've got that down. Yeah. It's the logistics now of just literally where we're going to play, right. how we how, how can we pull this off? That's the tough part that they're trying to figure out. And I don't think both sides were happy with the final decision on the finance yeah. side, but I think it was something that both sides understood like, Hey, it needs to happen, right? Like the players deferred a little bit more money and you know, they told him, you know, go chase yourself as Jamie likes to say with the escrow. Um, but nobody's happy, but they both know that to get back to normal in terms of hockey finance and have a full season next year, you got to play this season at least at some length. And as Joey has talked with me about on this week in hockey, Dan, these guys want to come back. Like these guys aren't sitting at home like, ah, well, screw these guys. We don't want to play. You know, if they want money, oh, they we'll stay home. Paid. We want to go. Well, and we want to play. You yeah, know, like you, get paid you want too. to get paid. That's the biggest thing. But they want to play, so um, they've done a great job with this. But yeah, the finances don't seem to be the problem anymore. It just seems to be rea- a reality of how is this going to work because the players only care about their safety. I don't know if you heard this, Joey was on this morning as we look at the Blues, and then we'll wrap things up. But uh, he mentioned Sunquist uh, being a guy that could fill the shoes of Steen. He's, you know, that's the player that you don't hear a lot about that has flown so far under the radar, even when they won the Stanley Cup. He was such a good player. Yeah. Did so many little things, and, and he was right. You know, I started thinking about it. I'm thinking about all these different players that – you know, the the normal cast of characters, and that's one that flies under the radar you don't think about that maybe takes some of those minutes. Yeah, I just, I, I actually put a piece up uh, this morning, Dan, about Alexander Steen and said that, like, it, it, he was one of the underrated guys, not just for the Blues, but in the NHL. And Oscar Sundquist is trending in that direction. I did hear the interview, great job by you guys. Joey told the story about Sidney Crosby basically saying, they shouldn't have traded this guy away in that first season of Sunquist, I don't think people saw anything from him that are thinking, wow, this guy's great. But it was that second year when they won the cup where he became influential. I'll give you another guy's name too, Ivan Barbashev. Barbashev is a guy who plays heavy minutes. He can score goals. He'll go to the front of the net. He will do anything the team asks him to do. And I mean, go back and look at that cup run, Dan, the one, two punch of Sunquist and Barbashev when they missed games, the blues lost in the playoffs. So, Steen will not be an easy guy to fill the void because his leadership, I don't think you can compare and losing Steen and Petrangelo, that's two big blows, but Sunquist and Barbashev, 
should be two dark horses on a lot of people's minds for this upcoming season of being very effective for the Blues. From the 314, keep telling fans how the players are too spoiled to play in a bubble and see how that works out for the NHL. What do you think? This has been the this has been the argument towards this since the bubble started last year. And I understand, look, everyone seems to always hear when we talk about how the players don't want to play in the bubble saying, oh, well, military works overseas. Look, those guys are, are superheroes. Players would never compare themselves to military forces that are working overseas but you got to put the human aspect into this Dan I mean imagine put yourself into their shoes being away from your family which I know there are a lot of people that do this but it's not an easy thing and military people would tell you that it's not an easy thing the hockey players I mean we saw the toll that it took on players when they got home there what were, were some of those stories what's that the, behind the, the players, scenes that went through the bubble that that, that it, players didn't like yeah well the fact that they were told that they're going to have excursions. They're going to be, I mean, basically it was being sold to go to like a rehab facility of like, Oh, you got all of these things to do, but then you get there and you're in a steel cage and you can't leave. Now, Toronto wasn't as much as, or I'm sorry, Edmonton. Yeah. Edmonton wasn't as much as what Toronto was, but for the Western conference guys in Edmonton, Dan, I mean, it was basically, you're in a building, you have a little grassy knoll in the middle of it that you can go outside, but otherwise you're either in your hotel room, you're with your team in some type of uh, rec center, or you're on the ice playing. And that wasn't what these guys were sold. They were sold fishing trips, hiking, golfing, being able to go to restaurants. So for the guys that were there for six weeks, okay, you know, it sucked, but whatever. For Tampa and Dallas that were there for over two months, that was really difficult for a lot of these guys. I mean, we saw the videos that went viral, Dan, when they got home and like they're crying with their wife and kids when they get to see them. So there's no way you can tell these players, hey, for 56 games because we need a season and we need to make money, you're going to a bubble. That's why I'm I'm not sure that the Canadian aspect of this would work if you're going to tell these guys now. This would have to be included with their families. I don't. Yes. There is no other way that that works. They're, they're, right. Kids, families, whatever extended family, they will have to come down, and there will have to be a loosening on restrictions of what you can do in that town. Yep. I, I really believe that. Yeah, it would probably be immediate family that comes with them. And, I mean, you know, right now, schooling-wise, at least because that would be a concern in that's a lot of people's minds with kids. That. Yeah. You got virtual learning, so maybe that's effective to where they can go somewhere in the U.S. You know, if they're going to do that, I would imagine it's going to be one of those uh, one of those north states, like a Minnesota, somewhere where you're close to the border still. But even that, I mean, again, I just don't see any – I don't see any route for – NHL players to be told, hey, you're going to the U.S. for the 56-game schedule. If the restrictions allow us back, we'll let you come back. But until then, you're going to be in the U.S. I don't see them being okay with that for 56 games. I could see players doing four weeks, maybe? Month? Yeah, that's what Joey said. Joey said four weeks would be probably the most that these guys would be willing to do it and play as many games as possible. Which would what, reassess kind of thing? Reassess kind of the schedule where you're at because if the border allows you, you can go back. Maybe you have to quarantine for four weeks, but if you knock out as many games as possible in the bubble, you give yourself a little bit of leeway, maybe a little bit of a bye week, so to speak, for some of the players to kind of get back into your own stadiums. The Blues, to their credit, spend to the cap. They have a little wiggle room now. Do you see them spending to the cap? I do. I don't see them spending... By the end of free agency, but I see them doing something in season because we're going to talk about this today later too, Dan. But I mean, you got to give props to Tom, Tom Stillman and this ownership group for what they're doing. Like to spend to the cap is impressive, especially in a pandemic for a small market team. But for the Blues, I know everyone wants Mike Hoffman. 
it's possible, but I don't see it because I don't see Mike Hoffman going underneath $4 million. Somebody will give him 5 or $6 million. What about a one-year deal just to reset your own market, though? It's not a bad decision, but that's going to be, I'm going to let the market play out. Because yeah. right now, if you're Mike Hoffman, my goal is to make sure next year I get the mo- most money possible. Is that going to a Stanley Cup contender? Because if you go to a Blues team for $2 million, well, guess what? That sucks this year, but you might be able to get $7 million next year. Or do you go the Taylor Hall route, where you go to maybe a team that's on the cusp of being a playoff team, but has money to spend and can take you to that next level? Because that's what Taylor Hall did, Dan. He went to Buffalo for, what, $6.5, 7000000 million? Not a great team, but he's going to play with Jack Eichel, and I guarantee you he's going to put oh, yeah. up big numbers so that next year... He's going to get a lot of money. So I could see Hoffman signing something less, but I, I think he I think the Blues would be in competition with a lot of teams that have a little bit more money to spend. Good stuff. Thanks. Thanks, Danny Mac. See you on the crossover. Yes, sir. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Get to some uh, text questions. If we can rip through some of those, we will. The Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Have some of those that I want to get to. Mizzou, by the way, in football, as Tanner just mentioned, basketball canceled for tonight. Mizzou football, though, they'll go to Starkville. They are favored by one. Eli Drinkowitz was asked about earlier this week how difficult this season has been compared to others. Much tougher just because of the endurance test. Much tougher because of the uh, I did not foresee the opt-outs, transfers. You know, I, I didn't take into account what that would do to our roster. Um, obviously, I, I was really concerned of, of being down the four uh, NCAA numbers in general. Um, but then when you to add, add in the opt-outs and the transfers and the, uh, the different issues, you know, we played uh, since South Carolina pretty much in the 50 scholarship numbers. So that, that's going to be the last five games of the season. I mean, that's that's not precedented. That's not I don't think that's how this sport's designed, especially at this level. So, you know, it's a, you know, our guys have shown a lot of fight, and courage and heart. And our coaching staff showed a lot of resiliency to just try to figure out a way each week to, to you know, put the best plan forward. It's been a good year. Any way you want to look at it, they uh, get a win this weekend. They go to six and four. If they win the bowl game, seven and four, top 25 recruiting class, depending on what outlet you want to look at. So during the pandemic, COVID-19, doing all that in his first year, very good year for Eli Drinkwitz. 3-1-4, Danny Mack enjoyed the game last night, talking about the Billikens. Are they for real? I say yes. Um, ACC team last night, yeah, limited nine players dressed for NC State, but they were able to run them down uh, and really just wear them out by the end of the game. Just looking this up, there are 18 teams right now in college basketball that are undefeated with five or more games played. You know, a lot of teams haven't been able to play. Uh, there's 18 of them that are undefeated, and we have two of them in the state. That's Mizzou and SLU. Mizzou, uh, they're canceled tonight, as Tanner said. SLU will next play against Minnesota. Very easily could go into their conference play undefeated, and I do think by next week, even if they would lose Sunday night, I think SLU uh, would go in and have a top 25 ranking going into uh, that game. Let's see here. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's see. 636. Um, two Sunday night games, Danny Mac on ESPN. That seems like a sign of the cards will just be okay. Usually have the max of ESPN games. Actually, two is a lot. They only put out two 
initially. That's the very beginning of the schedule. This is not for the full 162. And even if the Cardinals are not great, the Cardinals will be on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball because they get ratings. We're a baseball town. They'll get high ratings. More than likely, they max out. Certainly, there'll be a Cubs-Cardinals game on there. It already is. Another one is the Padres. Padres have not been on Sunday Night Baseball since 2007. They are featured in the early slate of games. You're, of course, going to have the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the big markets. The first one to kick off the season will be the Angels and the White Sox. So you get Albert in what could be his final year. Tony La Russa at the age of 76 back managing. Uh... Danny Mac, why optimistic on the Cardinals? Please tell me I have a reason for optimism. Yeah, there's a reason for optimism. NL Central isn't very good, and the Cardinals have pretty good pitching. Um, Actually laid it out with Randy this morning. The Cardinals, if you include Wainwright, have 20 pitchers potentially that could see action potentially in 2021. So without Wainwright, your rotation could be KK, Flaherty, Michaelis. I'm going to throw in Austin Gomber and Alex Reyes in my five. Relievers could be, and these are guys that might be starters too, kind of in that middle pack of, hey, come to spring training, be stretched out, be ready to go. Henesis Cabrera, Carlos Martinez, I don't have him in the rotation. Uh, Ryan Helsley, John Gant, Daniel Ponce de Leon, Johan Oviedo, although I think he needs some more seasoning, probably is your number one, number two at AAA. I haven't even mentioned Jake Woodford. That's another one, so that would make it 21. Um, then you have in your bullpen for sure, Hicks, Miller, Gallegos, Webb. Uh, Junior Fernandez is going to get some time at some point. Cody Whitley probably breaks with the club. Um, that's 21 guys. That's a lot. That's have, a lot. Do you have any fears of KK taking a step back this year? No, because I, I don't think enough of the league saw him. I, I think it'd be better if if the it's kind of like when you go to Sung Wan Oh, when the league kind of figured him out, he wasn't as effective. That's who I was. That's what I was thinking too. Is O had that, and then even Michaelis was the same way because he was off in Japan, came back, was pretty good. The second year they figured him out. I don't see that with KK. Remember, you played in the division. This year you're going to be outside the division. Yeah, there's a lot of film, tape, whatever you want to call it, on him. Um, but the guy knows how to pitch, and he's a starter as opposed to Sungwan O. So you're getting more looks at O. Um, and he's a lefty. There's just something about those lefties. Something when we were talking this morning that really sticks out to me when I look at Ponce's numbers going to him now, uh, he has a 12.4 strikeouts per nine. Do you see him being a guy that could eventually be like a John Gant, which we mentioned, become a guy that is not so much a long reliever, but a guy that is in the back end of your bullpen? More consistent. I got to see consistency inside the strike zone. So he he piles up the strikes, uh, the strikeouts, Um but remember at times, Tanner, when he struggled, what was happening? Walks, fall behind, boom, big hit, big inning, out of the game. Wasn't going deep into games as a starter. Maybe his best option could be as a reliever. I'm still not giving up as a starter. He he did figure something out, though, and the stretch run was pretty good. A lot of times guys figure things out. Come in, good offseason, good spring training, figure something out. It's hard, man. It's just a hard league, and sometimes it takes guys longer to figure it out, but uh, I like him. I like his stuff. Pitches up in the zone, four-seamer. Like it. I do. I do. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 
Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. We're saying thanks to St. Louis area education employees with Hubbard Radio's Deserving Deliveries. Today, Deserving Deliveries put together by 101 ESPN, Hubbard Radio St. Louis, and Scott Credit Union. 100 lunches are being delivered today to staff at Special School District of St. Louis Transportation Department by Super Smokers Barbecue. Where is our next uh, deserving delivery? Headed to next Friday. That'll be Christmas. We got to find a place, I guess, T Bone. You got to figure that out. You can nominate your favorite school staff now at 101 ESPN. And again, thank you again to all area educators. Thank you so much, staff, working hard during these very extraordinary times. Alex Ferrario back in on the crossover. We're talking a lot of hockey. You're going to have uh, Chris Kerber in, voice of the Blues. So yep. I'm assuming a lot of hockey talk coming up. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we kind of touched on it a little bit, Dan, and I know you and RK talked about it earlier today, just what the ownership has been able to do. Not just these last couple of years spending to the cap, but also uh, in a pandemic. So we'll get into that. We'll also talk a lot more about Alexander Steen, who, of course, announced his retirement yesterday. Let me ask you this one, Dan, because I know you love talking about the name that nobody likes talking about in baseball. Yeah. Nolan Arenado. Sure. We had John Perosi on yesterday Uh of MLB Network. He said yeah. it's a possibility. Right. He said it's a possibility, but let me Is ask you this. Is he signing those checks, too? Well, you might as well, right, okay. if you're him. Let me ask you this, though. In a hypothetical world, Dan, because Morosi talked about it, if you push back that buyout for a couple of years and you're able to trade away something, would you pull that move off? Uh, if you had to give up a Gorman, if you had to give up a, let's say, a Libertor. I, th- or I a think Thompson. he's going to make $31 million a year. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pay two guys that are going to be in their lower mid-30s over 25 to $30 million. No, I'm not doing it. Does he change the lineup at all, though? Of course he would. You think it changes it from a team that people say can compete in the Central to a team that might be able to give the Dodgers a run for their money? Um, I'm not sure that. I, I think you're going to have to get on fire with your pitching anytime that you're facing the Dodgers, yeah. whoever you are, the Yankees. Because you're going to have to combat their offense. Your pitching is going to have to be tremendous. You, and you got to have a little luck when you go into the postseason play. I know fans don't want to hear that, but that's the way that this postseason now is constructed in Major League right. Baseball. Um, you know, if Gorman is the player that you think he is, do you really. Now, Arenado is, outside of Scott Rowland, the best defensive third baseman I've ever seen. Right. He's awesome. Um, so I'm not taking anything away from what what kind of player he is and how he changes your lineup. It's, it's just, just the money. Yeah, it, it's it's very concerning. You know, the Mets are the team that's tied to him right now, and understandably so with what Steve Cohen's able to do financially. But Morosi made a great point. Like, it's not just going to be a a salary dump for the Rockies. Like, I know they want Trevor Story, but. This is a guy who's won the gold glove eight consecutive years. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who changes. Might be the best defender in, in baseball yeah, right this now. This is a guy who has an easy track right now to the Hall of Fame, it seems. And you're not just going to dump him for salary if you're Colorado, right? Um, well, the, the the players in the proposed deal that he had was Brandon Nimmo and a couple of prospects. Uh, well, actually, it was Rob, Robinson Cano was in there, too. So right. it was $48 million, so you're offsetting some of it. I I just think that you have to be, um, he has to be, <laughs> if you're going to pick up that option, mm-hmm. you better be sure. Now, you're going to pay Paul Goldschmidt at one corner, and you're going to pay Nolan Arenado another corner, and you're going to dedicate over $60 million to your 
potential um, your your payroll yeah. to those two guys. I'm not saying they're not two guys to do it. If you're going to do it, I mean, there's two guys that are pretty darn good. Without question. But the back end of those, I don't know. And you have a guy in Gorman that you hope is going to be, I'm not saying he's Nolan Arenado because right. he's not, but th- that's cost of, um, prohibitive in that, that regard. I mean, that they can maybe walk in, you hope to 25 home runs, play decent defense. Are you better allocating that money to other portions of your lineup? Yeah. Makes sense. I, you know, if I could get Nolan Arenado, if if there was a chance to get him, yeah, I mean, I, I got to kick the tires on it. But Who it's, wouldn't? It's always about that money, and it always should be about that and money. And people are like, well, you know, he may opt out. He ain't opting out. No, We're not in COVID-19 in, this in a pandemic, and he's going to be guaranteed whatever it is, right. 180 extra million dollars on that. No, he ain't opting out. You got him. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly something to look at. I, uh, I'd i love to watch him play every day. <laughs> I, I watch Scott Rowland play every day. And there's certain guys I say that's a privilege. It was a privilege to watch him play every day. Scott Rowland was my favorite player growing up. He was the reason I went to the ballpark. He and Albert Pujols. And Pujols is a given, but Scott Rowland's defense was the reason for me to go to that ballpark because I always wanted to see what type of play he was going to make at third base. I'll I'll tell you this. The Cardinals said, hey, we got a press conference uh, at 2 o'clock today and we've acquired Nolan Arenado. I'd be the most excited guy in town. Eh, second most, because I've been saying Mr. Trust 95% me. all the time. I'd love it. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great for the fan. It would energize the fan base, too. Yeah. Um, you got to think of reasons to come down to the ballpark. Winning is always going to bring people to the ballpark. I think Molina brings people to the ballpark, You're especially great. if it's his final couple of years. Wayno probably on every fifth day. If you know it's his last year, and especially in the second half of the season, people are going to say, I want to watch that guy pitch. Right. But Nolan Arnato watching him play every day. Just when I see him for six days out of the year, it's a treat. Yeah, so. without question. Well, I appreciate that. So we'll get into that, Danny, as well. And by the way, great call last night on that Billikens Fun. game. Fun to watch, and I'm glad they're in the – at least from what I read, uh, it was a uh, Drew Goodman or Jeff Goodman this morning who had him in his top 25. So hopefully they will be on the AP later on today. They will be. They should top be. 25. Yep, should be. All right, uh, Alex Ferrario, they're coming up next on 101 ESPN. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.